Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. For those of you who've been with us, you know that throughout the entire year of 2022, we talked about one thing, and that was the kingdom of God. We did it by different approaches or looks through scripture, and this year, the entire year, is going to last year's kingdom of God. What is it this year is how do you live in it? And how you live in the kingdom is expressed to us through the Sermon on the Mount. So this year, we're gonna spend the entire year methodically moving through Jesus's vision that he casts on a mountainside for the kingdom that, of which he's the king and he is ushering that into the world. And so in the middle of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount in chapter six, he provides the kingdom prayer. If you're from the high church background, it'd be known as the Our Father. Maybe if you're a little bit of a lower church, it's known as the Lord's Prayer. And so what we've done every single Sunday last year, and we'll be doing it this year as well, is we pray the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer Jesus gives us to pray in his kingdom. And so we're gonna pray that out loud together. So is everyone ready? You ready? All right. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray out loud. Our Father, who is in heaven... Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last Sunday, as I already mentioned, we had what was called Alpha Takeover. But the week prior to that, we began the sermon series in the kingdom of God and looking at it through the Sermon on the Mount. And so two weeks ago, I began to set up this sermon series, and I need to briefly do that. And then we're going to jump into the three Beatitudes that we feel called to walk through this morning. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you would remember that the context for the Sermon on the Mount was extremely important. At the end of Matthew chapter four, Matthew five and six is where the Sermon on the Mount takes on a head of steam. But at the end of Matthew chapter four, we are told that Jesus, at the end of Matthew chapter four, has crowds of people that are following him. There are crowds. And we read in Matthew 4.25, it says, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed Jesus. Now, if you were to look at that passage of scripture and you were during New Testament times, you have never seen a crowd where these types of people are all assembled together. These people don't deal with each other. They avoid each other. And especially those are who, are, who are from Jerusalem and Judea would never, ever, ever be caught in a crowd or an audience with people from the other side of the Jordan, from Syria or from the Decapolis. It would never happen. And the reason is people from the Decapolis and the region across the Jordan and the region known as Syria, these people are utter pagans. They know nothing about the kingdom of God. And yet... We see at the end of Matthew 4, they are beginning to follow Jesus. Some of these people who know nothing about the kingdom, they know nothing about the God of Israel. 
Jesus has made little forays, little field trip in, outside of Israel into their villages and he's begun to talk about the kingdom and there were healings and deliverances and people are now hearing about this rabbi by the name of Jesus and they are now crossing from their territories into Israel and they're beginning to follow him. So in Matthew chapter five, verses one through six is where we're going to read. The text is completely clear in verse one. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, so he looks at the crowds and goes, I need to talk about this because no one has seen a crowd like this before. The diversity in the crowd of faith is absolutely stunning. There have been no Jewish rabbis with a crowd like this, none. And the text is clear is that now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. That's what a rabbi does when he's ready to teach. He sits down. But Jesus intentionally did it on a hillside so that people could hear him and more people could see him. And the text says that his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So the Sermon on the Mount actually is to his disciples, but it's overheard by the entire crowd. And what we move into now is, is you've got this crowd that's filled with Jewish people who know the entire Older Testament by heart. They know all the 613 laws of Judaism. They are people who are spiritually wealthy and they're in the crowd and there are tons of them are people who are spiritually poor. They know nothing about the God of Israel. They know nothing about the God who's created all that there is, but this guy named Jesus has walked through their town and healed a few people and done a few teachings, and now they want to follow him. And what Jesus does next is what is known, again, as the Sermon on the Mount, but it's the inaugural vision for his kingdom. Jesus is now going to talk about what does it look like to live in the kingdom that he is bringing into the world. At the beginning of that sermon, we, we are approached by this chunk of blesseds that are called the Beatitudes. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read again now, beginning in verse 3, and the text tells us after this crowd thing, his disciples sit down, he's teaching them, but they all know who's in the crowd behind them. And Jesus says the following, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, just so you know, in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God in all the other gospels. Same thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first beatitude, which was poor in spirit. And what we learned two weeks ago was poor in spirit means to be, to be bent over like a destitute beggar spiritually, and no one wants to be this. No one. No one wants to be spiritually impoverished to the point where they are literally bent over. That's what that word in Greek means. You're so impoverished, you are bent over, and you're an utter destitute beggar. And Jesus says, in his kingdom, those people are blessed. And his disciples would have instantly thought, no, they're not. No one wants to be this way. No one. 
And what we began to discover two weeks ago is, is that the things Jesus mentions aren't good things. None of them are good things. None of them at all. And what we began to discover was, and if you were like me, I was discipled into a church where the Beatitudes were good things. You wanted to be, as we're getting ready to read, you wanted to be someone who mourns, you wanted to be someone who's meek, you wanted to be someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, but if you look at it the way Jesus is presenting it, you don't want to be any of these things. Who among us wants to get up and go, today I want to be poor of spirit. I want to know absolutely nothing about God, no context whatsoever. That's what that means. And so as we read on, we discover again that Jesus says, but in his kingdom, if you're poor of spirit, if you mourn, if, you, if you're meek, and if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're actually blessed. And so when we think about it, what we begin to get our minds and our hearts and our spirits around is the following thing. The Beatitudes are not rewards for correct behavior. They are announcements of the blessing because Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God. Let's be honest about something. Did you get up this morning and say, the best possible place I can be is to be poor in spirit, mourning, meek, and hungering and thirsting? No one did. You didn't get up this morning and go, that sounds like an awesome day. I mean, it was bad enough. It was cold and damp out, let alone these things. And yet again, I was discipled into a context where, you know, you get these things and then you're blessed. But it's become absolutely clear to me that that is not what Jesus is saying at all. Because you see, in the crowd in front of him, are thousands of people who are spiritually impoverished. They are mourning horribly. They are forced to be meek. And they are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, which means you want the world to be better. You're, you want that. There's something deep in you that is hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness to rule and reign, but it isn't. So let's take these one at a time. Let's begin with the first one after the initial poor in spirit. It's where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. So um, let me tell you a question. How many of you have ever lost someone close to you where you truly grieved? Raise your hand really high, like that's true. How many of you have never experienced that? Raise, don't be ashamed of it, just raise your hand. Like some of us around the room never experienced that. You know, until my father-in-law passed away, I had never had death in my family. I was in my mid-40s. I'd never lost anyone that was really close to me. I had grandparents that passed, but they lived a long way away. We almost never saw them. And so the first real grief was when my father-in-law passed. But you know, in Jewish theology, if you were a person that had never mourned, that was the blessed life. If God had been so good to you that no one had ever passed to where you had ever had to grieve, that's the truly blessed life. 
And so the reverse is true. If you'd had a lot of tragedy and a lot of death and you'd had to mourn a whole lot, and if you're in the midst of mourning, it means that your life is unblessed. It's not the good life. And yet Jesus says something very odd. He gets up front and he looks at this whole crowd and he goes, you know, you're blessed if you mourn. There's not a single one of us, man or woman, that got up today and said, I hope someone that I know and love dies today so that I can mourn. And Jesus said, in my kingdom, if you mourn, you're going to be blessed because you're going to be comforted. It's part of my kingdom. It's how this works. Yesterday afternoon into the evening, we had a funeral here in this sanctuary. And in this sanctuary, a man was, his life celebration service happened. His name was Ted, and he lived this incredible life. He followed Jesus all of his life. He was a Marine. He was a school teacher for 30 plus years. His kids loved him. Everyone around him respected him. The best part of his life is he coached wrestling in high school. That just made him all the better to me. I love wrestling. I work with the UVA wrestling team. I'm like, that's the man right there. But you know, with as good of a life as he lived, there were people in this sanctuary that were sobbing. He was dead. He had passed away, and they were mourning. And here we have Jesus bringing in his kingdom, and he's saying something that's either true or false. He's saying that in his kingdom, he is announcing blessed over people that mourn because he can do something about it. No one else can. Our church has this ministry called Grief Share. And this coming Wednesday night at 6 p.m. here in the sanctuary, there will be a group of people that gather who are in the midst of mourning and grieving. They have lost someone. And that crushing weight of having lost someone has deeply affected their lives. But my wife and others serve in the Grief Share team and they've watched hundreds of people be freed up in the middle of their grief because Jesus doesn't lie. In his kingdom, he announces blessing over mourning. And then Jesus goes on in the text. And he says, as you look at the text, he also announces, blessed are the meek. And you think to yourself, is it really a blessing to be meek? Do you know what it means to be meek? To be meek means I know my potential but I don't do it. I, I kind of tamp it down. And in Jesus' culture, because the Roman Empire has dominated the entire country where he lives, everyone is meek. Because if you stick your head up, it gets chopped off with a sword. And so everyone goes around and they're meek and they're stuffing it down inside of themselves. You know, some of us here, you're, you're a meek person. And someone looked at you once on the job and said, what you need to do is go into your boss's office and stand on his desk and you need to just give him what you're worth and, you're, and you think about doing that and you go, I'd get on the desk and I'd faint. I wouldn't have the words to say. I, the emotion would come out all wrong and it would end up in utter disaster. 
And so you just turtle up again. Listen, what Jesus is talking about in this meekness is an entire hillside of people who have turtled up in life. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, you're going to find a blessing. My kingdom's the upside-down kingdom. My kingdom works totally differently than the kingdom of this world. In my kingdom, Jesus says, and think about what he says, blessed are the meek because they're going to inherit the earth. You're not gonna lift a finger, but there'll come a day where this entire earth, which people are warring over and building weapons to win and people are killing each other over, there'll come a day in his kingdom where the entire earth will be yours and it'll be a new heaven and a new earth and heaven and earth will be combined and you will have an earth that you're gonna wanna live in. And Jesus says you're gonna inherit it. Because you're part of this kingdom, it will be yours, and he promises it. And then we go on to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There are those who have a keen sense of injustice, and you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You have watched people try to do something about the unrighteousness and the injustice, but how they've done it has done nothing to bring about righteousness. It almost senses like it makes it worse. Jesus says in his kingdom that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, my kingdom is for you because in my kingdom, you'll be satisfied. There's nothing good about hungering and thirsting. If you're hungry and you're thirsty, it means that your soul is absolutely famished. The question becomes, how do we put feet to our faith with all of this? What does it look like? Again, recapping, Matthew 5, verses 2 through 6 says the following. Jesus announces his inaugural sermon. Blessed are those who mourn. No, they're not. Blessed are the meek. It's a horrible way to live. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's awful. By the way, being meek and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they're close to each other. Mourning is close to those. It's that sense in life where things aren't how they ought to be. But Jesus simply gets up front and he announces a blessing over those things. You see, Jesus is saying, because the kingdom of God is now here and only because it's here, these people are now blessed. He's also saying that the only way people like this are blessed is if the kingdom of God has truly come in Jesus. Everyone else, or everywhere else, they are unblessed. But in the kingdom of God, somehow, some way, the kingdom can take these things and move them towards blessing. For those who mourn, you're comforted. For those who have that keen sense of justice and righteousness, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be filled. And for those of us who've been meek, we know it isn't the way it ought to be, but we're worried about how we're responding. Jesus says, you will entire, you will inherit the earth. But as we put feet to our faith, the thing that we have to wrestle with is what is really and truly real. I believe the most real thing is Jesus and his kingdom.
I think that trumps the material world. I honestly do. I believe that in Jesus, all of these things can be turned into a blessing. Listen, it's an upside down kingdom. You know, this past week, our church has gone through a 24-7 prayer movement. We had people sign up online and there was a board in the back and people signed up to pray 24-7 different hour slots of the day. I say this to be totally honest. I looked at the board and I found the one slot no one had signed up for. And it was Friday morning from 3 to 4 a.m. So I signed up. I'm gonna do this. When my alarm went off at five of three, I thought to myself, what in the world am I doing? So I crawled out of bed and I, was a, I pray when I kneel and so I kneeled by the couch. And while I'm praying, my flesh is going, what in the world are you doing? You know what I'm talking about, right? And my flesh, which is so comfortable in this world, but my spirit is going, this is the most powerful thing you can possibly do. It's the most powerful thing that you've joined with hundreds of people who've got up in the middle of the night and they've knelt by the bed or a couch or a chair. If you're not, by the, if you're not a part of the kingdom, that looks like an utter waste of time. But if you're in the kingdom, you know that's the most powerful thing you could possibly do is to kneel by a bed and pray and ask God that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done and that somehow, someway, I and City Church can partner with him in the coming of his kingdom because we so desperately need it because people all around us are mourning and they're meek and they have no sense at all of God's justice in that nothing, nothing, and there are people that are mourning and grieving and they have zero hope, zero. Someone they love has died and their life is completely void and vacant. And yet there's this one and his name is Jesus and he says, I can bless that, but I'm the only one. And in my kingdom, there's a new way to do life. Totally new way. The other thing and the other way we can put feet to our faith is to participate with Alpha. And last week, Alpha did a whole takeover in the service. But Alpha is this incredible program where you can go to people that you know and love and work with and those that you hate. You can ask your enemy. Do you want to go where you can ask life's questions about God and life and I'll go with you and we'll do it together. It's what Alpha is. As you can tell, I'm passionate about this. Unashamedly passionate. And here's why. Jesus mourned horribly on the cross. Jesus was incredibly meek on the cross. Jesus was hungering and thirsting for righteousness on the cross. And Jesus became poor in spirit on the cross. And he was resurrected to new life through all of those. He's the only one that can do anything about it the only one. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a moment to pray. If you have sensed any of this in your life, mourning, 
meekness, hungering and thirsting. The kingdom is the place where all of that is satisfied in Christ. Jesus, I pray over my own life that my heart and my life would be open to you, to your kingdom. I pray for those that are worshiping with us online and those that are here in this sanctuary, that all of us together, every woman and every man, would move more deeply into your kingdom. Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done because we are mourning. We are meek and we are hungering and thirsting for a better world. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, in Christ's name, amen.